Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Picture a hurricane barreling toward the coastline. There are a lot of ingredients that come together to form that hurricane's intensity and track. Other outside factors that steer it in one direction or another. And a lot of that sort of feels like the, the gathering storm before an election. It's 2022, which means midterm elections are now less than a year away. The midterm elections are going to be at top of mind when you go to the ballot box this midterms. There are factors that candidates can and can't control uh, that all go into this recipe about, you know, what's going to happen on Election Day? What's going to happen when the hurricane makes landfall? How are you going to buffet yourself against some of the, those forces that can be strong? How are you going to improve your position so that you can withstand it? I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And this is Steve Shepard, the senior campaigns and elections editor, also Politico's in-house meteorologist. There's just there's a lot of parallels in these worlds. And we are in the early stages right now of uh, that sort of storm formation. And, you know, for, for Democrats going into this challenging midterm environment, uh, I think they can see a storm on the horizon and they're just wondering how bad it's going to be. Politico launched its 2022 midterm election tracker today. You should go check it out. It's pretty awesome. And on the show today, Steve Shepard breaks down his midterm election predictions and which races to keep an eye on. So the midterm elections are six and a half months away. We had one primary in Texas. We are about to enter a long stretch of very consequential primaries in two weeks that are really going to shape the midterm landscape. And what we're trying to do is, yes, we are trying to predict who's going to win and we want to get as many right as possible. Uh, but ultimately, we're trying to provide our readers with a lot more context, you know, not just with who's going to win, but why and, and what's going on both in the national political environment, the issues that matter in these states, the identities and positions and personalities of these candidates who are running, especially with both parties, kind of in turmoil and in flux. How many elections are there this midterm cycle? Well, there are 435 congressional elections, just as there are in every midterm cycle. There are a couple of special elections as well earlier this mm -hmm. year because of some resignations uh, and some deceased members of Congress. But 435 regularly scheduled general elections for Congress, for, for the House. There are another 34 Senate seats regularly in cycle, plus one mm -hmm. extra special election in Oklahoma because of a senator who's going to resign at the end of the year, Jim Inhofe. And then there are 36 governorships. So that is a lot of elections. It's nearly 500. Yeah. So as you said, this is a ton of races. We can't possibly cover them all. Otherwise, it'd be like an 18 hour podcast. So what are a couple of the most interesting or revealing that you're keeping a close eye on? So I want to start with the Senate. Uh, we have rated the Senate overall as leaning toward Republicans. That means Republicans have an advantage in, in the battle for the Senate, but it is by no means a done deal. Democrats still have the Senate majority, keeping the Senate majorities within arm's reach for them. So I am laser focused on some of the most competitive Senate races on the map. We currently have five rated as a toss up, three that currently have Democratic senators and two that have currently have Republican senators. Uh, of the three that currently have Democratic senators, Joe Biden narrowly carried each of them in the last election and Democratic incumbents are seeking reelection. They are Mark Kelly in Arizona. Raphael Warnock 
in Georgia and Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada. Those are Democrats' big defensive Senate seats in this Mm -hmm. election. Republicans are defending two seats in states that actually President Biden carried narrowly. They are Pennsylvania, where Republican Senator Pat Toomey is retiring, and Wisconsin, where uh, Republican Senator Ron Johnson is seeking re-election. Those are Democrats' two pickup opportunities. Those really are the core of the Senate battlefield, and that's where the majority is going to be decided. There are a couple of other races kind of on the periphery. New Democrats defending a seat in New Hampshire, which is a very swingy state. They're trying mm-hmm. to pick up a seat in North Carolina, which uh, they haven't won a presidential or Senate election in North Carolina since 2008, but races there are typically close. But those five core races that I mentioned, those are going to be the really heart of the Senate battlefield right now. And we think Republicans have a slightly better chance to win three or four or five of the five and, th- and thus flip the majority uh, than Democrats do at this point. Yeah. And these are really, as you were saying, like a lot of these are really, it's a carryover from 2020 in terms of the states that were really politically significant in that political election. And we're watching races in all of those states. Absolutely. Joe Biden won Arizona and Georgia by less than a point. In each of those Mm -hmm. states, Nevada, he won by closer to three points. Uh, But we've seen a lot of polling in Nevada that shows the tide has kind of turned against Democrats a little bit. And so we're expecting Republicans to have a little bit more more momentum in this election than they had in 2020 in Nevada. So these are states that are going to be politically significant for a long time. (laughs) They are, especially Arizona and Georgia. Joe Biden was the, the first Democrat to win those states at the presidential level since the 1990s. Mm. And there's every sign that these Senate races are going to be very, very close again. And what do we know about the strategies of Democrats and Republicans? I know it's still several months out from the midterm. So what are you seeing? Well, right now, Democrats in these states particularly have their incumbents. And this is also true in, in the House and in governorships. You know, a lot of these governorships that are up this year were last up in 2018, which, of course, was a good year to be a Democrat. President Trump's first midterm Democrats did not flip the Senate, but they did win the House majority with a 40 seat gain. A lot of those folks were reelected in 2020 in in Congress or in the cases of these uh, Democratic governors haven't been on the ballot since. Uh, And so Democrats largely have their team in place. There are a couple of key Democratic primaries, but by and large, their candidates have spent the past year and a half leading into this election, raising a lot of money, trying to build their profiles, especially to create a little bit of distance from President Biden, given his decline in his approval rating over the past year or so. Mm-hmm. So their team's in place. Republicans are a little bit more in flux. In a lot of these places, they have competitive primaries, competitive primaries that are driven a lot uh, in, a, in a lot of cases by the former president, um, yeah. And and by races to define each candidate as, as sort of the most, most conservative candidate. And that carries some risks. However, they also have the national environment in their favor. Polls show that voters want, you know, Democrats kind of control everything in Washington. And in a lot of these states, you have Democratic incumbent governors. Uh, and voters want a check and balance, especially as President Biden's approval rating has declined. And we're seeing sort of all these factors come into play uh, as we look at individual races across the map, which is what this project does. We look at all of these individual races and then we roll it up in aggregate. So if the House is 
pretty likely to flip for Republicans and the Senate is somewhat likely to flip for Republicans. What's the mindset of Democrats who know that it's maybe unrealistic that they're going to keep the Senate even and keep a majority in the House? Like where where do you think the mindset comes in in terms of like staunching the bleeding? What seats are like definitely lost? How are they thinking about that? Well, the first step is to is to hold the Senate for Democrats. That is their top priority. Mm-hmm. I don't think they look at any seat as definitely lost. I think Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada is perhaps is probably their most vulnerable current member. Uh, but I think they're up, they're they're hopeful that they could pick win in either Pennsylvania or Wisconsin to kind of offset that. And then they are they also hope that Mark Kelly and Raphael Warnock, who've raised a ton of money um, and are facing. Uh, in a lot of cases, are, are both probably likely to face first-time candidates uh, in the general election, people who've never run for office before, um, hoping that they can prevail as tested candidates. Barring that, the goal would be to limit their losses as much as possible. You know, in the House, where we currently think that that it's likely that Republicans will gain the majority, there's a difference between a, a small majority, as, as Democrats and, and you know, Speaker Nancy Pelosi knows what the, what Democrats have right now. A small majority makes it harder to get things done because you need essentially all of your members in, across the ideological spectrum from the most moderate being, say, Jared Golden in Maine and mm-hmm. the most liberal, you know, members of the squad and uh, uh, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, you need them almost all to vote for the same pieces of legislation. And that can be tough to hold together when you have a small majority. So that could limit what Republicans could do. There's also an electoral argument to be made that keeping the losses minimal now in 2022 will make it easier for Democrats, perhaps with a better national environment and a choice at the top of the ticket between a Democratic candidate and a Republican candidate instead of a referendum on the incumbent president, which is what typically happens in a midterm. There's optimism that they could, even if they lose control of the House, that they could win it back in 2024. But if you have a bunch of new Republican incumbents in all these seats and you're in a 20-seat hole, making that up in the next election is very difficult. Uh, if you if that uh, hole is only five or 10 seats, it's much more attainable. And the same thing is true uh, in the battle for the Senate. If Republicans do pick up 51 or 52 Senate seats, that's the kind of thing that Democrats could look at the next cycle, election cycle, as as something achievable. But if Republicans have a 54 or 55 seat majority, if they sweep those toss up races and then maybe extend into places like New Hampshire or Colorado and flip those seats as well uh, in, in a, a big wave here, then that's going to be very difficult for Democrats to overcome in the next election. So minimizing the losses now makes it easier in the future. All right. Any any closing thoughts? This is a this is going to be a six month long odyssey through the midterm landscape for us. You know, we are currently making these predictions. Uh, however, this is dynamic. <laughs> we are going to be yeah, looking Yeah, there's a at, lot that goes into making these predictions. There is a lot, but it also is something that we don't just make the prediction and then walk away six and a half months later and, and mm-hmm. see how we did. No one covers, I think, midterm elections like we do at Politico. This is at the, the core of our mission. And we're going to be tracking, especially once these primaries get going, they're going to change the nature and shape of a lot of these elections. The first primary is beginning in May. The last primary is in, in September. This stretch is going to have a huge effect on what these midterm elections in November actually look like. So 
this is not just a here it is. This is a stay tuned. Steve Shepard, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you, Annie. You can visit politico.com to see the full election forecast and get familiar with it. It'll be updated continuously for the next few months through Election Day. Also in the news, on Monday, a federal judge in Florida struck down the CDC's requirement that masks must be worn on planes and trains, ruling that the agency overstepped its statutory authority. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that the CDC and DHS were reviewing the decision and that the Department of Justice would be making determinations about how it would respond. And midterm politics are endangering a key Biden nominee who would give Democrats a majority at the Federal Communications Commission, jeopardizing the administration's push to restore net neutrality and other tech regulations rolled back during the Trump era. A coalition of Republicans, moderate Democrats, and telecom industry allies are ratcheting up pressure on potential swing Democrats to oppose FCC nominee Gigi Sohn, including by calling the progressive consumer advocate a, quote, anti-police radical, and accusing her of being biased against rural America. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Brigmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>